Well, praise team, thank you so much. Church, would you join me in thanking them? What a great job, and what, a, what an incredible song we just heard, learned. Some of you know the song. It's been on the radio for quite a while, but what great truths in that song, truths that I needed to be reminded of just now. So thank you, praise team, for leading us this morning. I also want to take a moment just to say thank you to Zach Scoggin, who apparently just walked out of the room. Oh, there he is back there. Zach uh, did an incredible job planning and recruiting and executing along with your help. So thank you, Zach, and everyone who volunteered. Now, you didn't let me finish. Brought candy and everything. Just everyone who was involved, what a great day. I mean, the weather was not great. We had to move everything inside last minute, but the room was full. There were all sorts of families from the community who we met, who were asking about our church, who we connected with. So we're just going to be praying that God would uh, make this a fruitful thing for uh, his glory and that our church would uh, be able to connect with some of these families. And we're just grateful for the way that you have responded and served and loved our community. Please turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 13. 2 Samuel chapter 13. You know, living in the panhandle, always around this time of year, I hear the same conversation. Because dry land farmers are always lamenting the fact that they don't know when the best time to plant their crop is, when they plant their seed. You know, there hasn't been enough rain, or rarely would we ever say there's been too much rain, right? But they want to know because they want to plant at the right time so that it can come up and make it through the winter and be okay. Beyond that, what you're going to hear is there is never enough rain or when the rain comes, it comes at the wrong time. You recall last May and June, we had all this flooding and all this rain. However, that didn't help the farmers around here because it was too late. In fact, from what I've heard, it just made their plowing much more difficult because of all the water on, on the ground. While there are so many variables when it comes to farming, one thing that we can count on is that if something pops up, it's going to be what was planted, right? If winter wheat was planted, we could be sure that cotton is not going to sprout up. This is the law of the harvest. And we know that the law of the harvest actually has more applications than just in farming or just physical life. It's true spiritually as well. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Galatia, Do not be deceived, for whatever one sows, that he will reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap from the flesh corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap from the Spirit eternal Life, Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. And while Paul seems to have an eternal perspective or eternal realities at mind when he writes this, it's true also that there are consequences for our actions in this life, in the here and now. Last week, the prophet Nathan confronted David concerning his sin with Bathsheba and against Uriah. And while God graciously took away his guilt, Nathan was very clear, there will be consequences for your sin. In fact, he said that the, the, the child that Bathsheba would, would bear would not make it. 
child would die. Beyond that, Nathan was very clear, there will be a sword in your own household. There will be division. And this sword would even bring down David. This morning, we're going to see the sword that Nathan warned against was coming as chaos would bring down his kingdom. And friends, this is a hard text. And while I'm going to do my best to be discreet, the subject matter is not easy. Even still, we need to take to heart the warnings that are apparent in this text. So we're going to read through chapter 13. We'll read through half of it now and half of it in a little bit. But would you stand as we read, beginning in verses 1 through 19. 2 Samuel 13, 1 through 19. Now Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And after a time, Amnon, David's son, loved her. And Amnon was tormented that he himself, was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin, and it seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimeah, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very crafty man, and he said to him, O son of the king, why are you so haggard morning after morning? Will you not tell me? Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Jonadab said to him, lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, let my sister Tamar come and give me bread to eat and prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please let my sister Tamar come and make a couple of cakes in my sight that I may eat from her hand. Then David sent home to Tamar saying, go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house when he was lying down and she took dough and kneaded it and made cakes in his sight and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and emptied it out before him, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, send out everyone from me. So everyone went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food into my chamber that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes that she had made and brought them into the chamber to Amnon, her brother. But when she brought them near to eat to him to eat, she took hold. He took hold of her and said to her, come lie with me, my sister. And she said, no, my brother, do not violate me for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous thing. As for me, where could I carry my shame? As for you, you would be as one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. But he would not listen to her, and being stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. Then Amnon hated her with very great hatred, so that he hated her, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, Get up, go. But she said to him, No, my brother, for this wrong in sending me away is greater than the other thing that you did. But he would not listen to her. He called the young man who served him and said, Put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her. Now she was wearing a long robe with sleeves, for thus were the virgin daughters of the king dressed. So a servant put her out and bolted the door after her, and Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long robe that she wore. And she laid her hand on her head and went away, crying aloud as she went. Let's pray together. 
Lord, today as we look to this text, we're asking that you would give us insight and wisdom. We're praying that we would not make mistakes, sin in a similar vein as Amnon and as we'll see, Absalom as well. And Lord, that sin may not look exactly like this, but the root of it is so prevalent in our society, it's prevalent even in our hearts. So we pray for your grace this morning. We pray that we would turn, that we would look to you, that we would find hope in you because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. And you may be seated. In Genesis chapter 4, we have the account of Cain and Abel. And you'll recall that Abel brought an acceptable sacrifice to the Lord, but that the Lord rejected Cain's offering. And we're told that Cain became incredibly angry after that. But then we have this clear statement from God to Cain. God says to Cain, sin is crouching at the door. His desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Now we know that ultimately sin did master Cain and then he killed his brother. And in God's warning, sin is likened to an animal that is ready to jump us and to devour us, to destroy us. Hence, we are called to master over sin, to rule over sin. We are called to battle sin. And here's the good news. For those of us who are in Christ Jesus, for those of us who have recognized our sin, those of us who have placed our hope and our trust in the finished work of Jesus on the cross and in the resurrection, we have hope because Jesus has ruled over sin, rendering it dead in our lives. By God's grace and the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit, we have the ability to say no to sin. The Apostle Paul calls us to crucify the flesh and to put sin to death in our lives. Peter and James tell us to resist Satan and to submit to God. And what this tells us is that we have a part to play when it comes to battling sin. We're not just to let go and to let God As we look to the text today, we're going to see that the power of sin is alive and well in two of David's sons. And as we consider what this means for us, we'll be encouraged to battle sin with all that we are and all that we have. The first thing we see is that we're to battle lust by walking by the Spirit. Battle lust by walking by the Spirit. Chapter 13 begins here by telling us that David's son, Absalom, had a beautiful sister named Tamar. And immediately we learn of another one of David's sons, Amnon, who is a half-brother to both Amnon and Tamar. Remember, David had a lot of wives at this time. You know, went away, sinfully had a lot of wives. So Absalom and Amnon were half-brothers, so then Tamar was a half-sister to Amnon. And we learn that Amnon had a perverse interest in Tamar. The text tells us that he loved Tamar, but we need to see through that, understand that this wasn't really love. This was simply base lust in the life of Amnon. He was consumed by it. See, we know it wasn't love because what we learn from Scripture is that love must accord to truth. If it doesn't accord to truth, then it is not genuinely love. 
I had a friend growing up at elementary school. We lived in Altadena, California. And this young lady, who's my age or maybe a year older than me, lived down the street from me. We, we were playing basketball and doing all sorts of stuff. In fact, her dad was my first basketball coach when I started playing organized basketball. And we moved away when I was like in fifth or sixth grade. And we never, we never communicated and talked. But, you know, then somehow we connected again in college. And at that point, I was living in North Carolina. She was living in Oregon. And it turns out that she was telling about herself and that she was uh, now living as a homosexual. And she was... Uh, engaged to another lady. And we talked about that. We talked about what scripture says. Well, I mean, it's love. How could it be wrong? I mean, if you really love someone, how could this be wrong? In scripture, love accords with truth. And the truth of the situation with Amnon is that scripture calls what his perversity was pursuing as wicked. By the way, as the story unfolds, if we listen to Tamar's objections, which we read earlier, we'll see here in a minute again, we hear the voice of truth concerning Amnon's intentions. Listen to verses 11 through 13 again with me, if you will. But when she brought them near him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, come lie with me, my sister. She answered him, no, my brother. Do not violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous thing. As for me, where could I carry my shame? As for you, you would be as one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Now, the Hebrew term translated outrageous there is associated with disgraceful, wicked sins. It's godlessness, it's profane, it's used, friends, in the Old Testament in the context of rape and incest and premarital unchastity and homosexuality. But friends, it doesn't take a Hebrew interpretation or explanation for us to know that what Amnon was desiring was wrong. Next, we're introduced to a cousin, Jonadab, right? Cousin to Amnon and to Absalom and to Tamar. Now, Jonadab, Jonadab is described as a crafty man, a crafty individual. He is a man who is skilled at getting what he wants to get. Author Tim Chester suggests that Jonadab is a meddler with no moral compass other than to ingratiate himself to others. Peter Leithart likens Jonadab to the serpent who tempted Eve to sin, right? Remember, according to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1, the serpent was crafty. The serpent was crafty. Jonadab was crafty and Amnon was sick with lust and Amnon, his friend, the text tells us, was there to help. Now, notice that it was Jonadab who came up with this plan that would lead Amnon to acting out his lust. And the sinful brilliance of the plan was that by the plan's design, David was maneuvered into making the request to his own daughter to go and help her half-brother, and this would have taken all the concern away from her. I mean, I can trust my dad, right? I'm going to go serve, right? Everything's going to be okay, right? Well, let me just say that Jonadab is a poor excuse for a friend. A true friend would have spoken truth in this moment. A true friend would have spoken truth to Amnon. A true friend would have pointed Amnon to righteousness and encouraged him to repent, to turn from his wicked, sinful desires. 
Proverbs chapter 27, verses five and six read, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. The apostle Paul tells us that those who are in relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ are to speak the truth in love to one another. Why? Because when we do that, when we are committed to that, Corporately, then we grow in faith. We grow in Christ-likeness, Christian maturity, Ephesians chapter four. Hebrews chapter three instructs us to encourage one another in righteousness so that we might combat sinful desires, so that we might battle against our sin. Don't be the Jonadab kind of friend. Be someone who is committed to truth and encourages others to walk in truth. And let me just say this, being neutral isn't okay either. Just staying silent isn't okay either. Friends, we have a call on our lives to speak into the lives of our friends. And when we see our friends, when we see our colleagues, when we see our fellow church members going in the wrong direction, going in a way that will never lead to a a good place, a righteous place, a holy place, we have a responsibility to warn them, to encourage them to turn from their ways. Don't do that. That's wrong. You need to turn from that. You need, to, you need to recognize the sinfulness of that. Maybe you don't even see it right now, but I'm telling you, you gotta turn from that. You need, to, you need to repent of that. This is what a friend does. This is what a Christian friend does. We don't hold back truth. We don't think, well, maybe, maybe, maybe they'll get it in time. No, we tell them. We encourage them. We love them with truth. Well, we read how all this turns out. As Tamar comes close to Amnon, the text tells us that he took hold of her. This is a strong Hebrew verb that means overpowered. Amnon overpowered his sister. Now, initially, you'll see that Amnon pleaded for Tamar to come to him, to which Tamar pleaded and protested, no, don't do this. Perhaps even trying to buy time for herself. She says, hey, just go talk to our father. Go talk to the king. He's not going to withhold. Well, we knew this was wrong. King David would never say, yeah, go for it. Maybe she's just trying to buy herself time. But after Amnon commits his violence against Tamar, she pleads to stay, saying that this act of sending me away is just as bad as the other act. But Amnon will not hear it. Now hating Tamar He orders her away. Friends, sin may seem enticing, but it never leads to satisfaction, ever. In the moment, everything seems wonderful, but then the bottom drops out and we realize that it can never satisfy Now, so often, because we're not thinking straightly, we don't understand fully that that's the message we're getting. But we realize it inside, it's not enough. During my recovery, I was watching the Jesus Revolution movie, and uh, one of the characters in there, uh, Frisbee, what's his first name, David? Lonnie, Lonnie Frisbee, that's right. 
uh, he, he's talking to these hippies and he's talking to uh, you know, some of the people who are struggling on drugs and he makes this great comparison. He talks about how the drugs are never gonna be enough. It's never gonna satisfy you. And he points them to Jesus, the only one who can satisfy. And it's the same way with sin. We think sin's gonna bring satisfaction to us. We think sin's gonna make our day. We think everything's gonna be wonderful. We just live this way and pursue this way. But, it, but it's empty. It, it can never lead to lasting joy and lasting satisfaction. So what do we do with this? But we need to be aware of sin's deceiving power, right? When we go down the road of sin, we open ourselves up to the possibility of our hearts being hardened by sin's deceitfulness, Hebrews chapter three. James warns us of how temptation works, right? He tells us that we're tempted when we're lured away by these desires that are in our own hearts. But eventually these desires will lead us to a trap and then ultimately to death. But I think what we need to see from this in our own lives as followers of Christ that we're to humble ourselves and seek to walk by the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, 16, Paul writes, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, walking by the Spirit isn't a result of some mystical experience that we have or some second blessing of the Holy Spirit that comes after we've trusted in Jesus Christ, right? It's not some higher heightened sense of spirituality that's unavailable to those who are genuinely in Christ. No, to walk by the Spirit is to live in constant recognition and submission to God's presence and God's will. Pastor John MacArthur writes, to walk with the Spirit is about saturating one's mind with God's truth, with God's love, with God's glory, and desiring to be like him, right? Walking by the Spirit, friends, is believing God's word. It's believing God's word that we are dead to sin, that we don't have to live in sin, we don't have to make sinful choices. And then it's actively seeking righteousness. It's actively living and pursuing righteousness. Everyone who is a follower of Jesus Christ has the power to live this way. Everyone. Because that's what God's grace and God's spirit does in our life. But the question is, will we? The question is, will we choose to live this way? We live in a sexualized society. And temptation is everywhere. It's in our entertainment. It's at the click of a button. It's all around us. And there are people, both men and women, in this room right now who are being carried away by their lust. Very similar to Amnon. Now, it may not be for the same thing, desiring a half-sister, but you're being carried away by your lust. It's enslaving. It's all-consuming. And it's crouching at the door and it wants to destroy you. What will you do? What will you do? Friends, fight it. Put safeguards in place. Open yourself up to accountability. Confess your sin. Remember we saw last week, one of the greatest ways to battle sin in our lives is to confess our sin. Hear me. 
your family, your marriage, your life is at stake. Walk by the Spirit. Well, let's continue reading because the story continues here. Verses 20 through 39. And her brother Absalom said to her, has Amnon, your brother, been with you? Now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this to heart. So Tamar lived, a desolate woman, in her brother Absalom's house. When King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. But Absalom spoke to Amnon, neither good nor bad. For Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister Tamar. After two full years, Absalom had sheep shears at Baal Hazor, which is near Ephraim. And Absalom invited all the king's sons. And Absalom came to the king and said, Behold, your servant has sheep shears. Please let the king and his servants go with your servant. But the king said to Absalom, No, my son, let us not all go, lest we be burdensome to you. He pressed him, but he would not go, but gave him his blessing. Then Absalom said, If not, please let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said to him, Why should he go with you? But Absalom pressed him until he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. Then Absalom commanded his servants, Mark when Amnon's heart is merry with wine. And when I say to you, Strike Amnon, then kill him. Do not fear. Have I not commanded you? Be courageous and valiant. So the servants of Absalom did as Amnon did to Amnon as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons rose, and each mounted his mule and fled. While they were on the way, news came to David, Absalom has struck down all the king's sons, and not one of them is left. Then the king rose and tore his garments and lay on the earth, but all his servants who were standing, and all his servants who were standing by tore their garments. But Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother said, let not my Lord suppose they have killed all the young men, the king's sons, for Amnon alone is dead. For by the command of Absalom, this has been determined from the day he violated his sister Tamar. Now therefore, let not my Lord, the king, so take it to heart as to suppose that all the king's sons are dead, for Amnon alone is dead. But Absalom fled And the young man who kept the watch lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, many people were coming from the road behind him by the side of the mountain. And Jonadab said to the king, Behold, the king's sons have come, as your servant said, so it has come about. And as soon as he had finished speaking, behold, the king's sons came and lifted up their voice and wept. And the king also and all his servants wept very bitterly. But Absalom fled to the town of Talmai, the son of Amahad, king of Geshur. And David mourned for his son day after day. So Absalom fled and went to Geshur, and there were about three years. And the spirit of the king longed to go to Absalom because he was confronted about Amnon, comforted about Amnon since he was dead. The second thing that I want us to see from this patch is that we are to battle the desire for rent, battle the desire for revenge by trusting the Lord. Battle the desire for revenge by trusting the Lord. The story now shifts to Absalom. In fact, the conflict between David and Absalom, as many of you know, will dominate the next several chapters of 2 Samuel as we see the sword continuing to tear apart David's kingdom. The consequences, think about this, the consequences of David's sin were so severe that we see it played out, the lust played out in Amnon's life. 
And we see the hatred and the murder played out in Absalom's life. Not to mention Amnon's sin against Tamar and how it left her in a vulnerable and a broken condition. And that's where the second half of this chapter picks up. Absalom immediately picks up on what's going on with Tamar and somehow he intuitively knows that Amnon was involved. So intuitive, we wonder, is Jonadab talking at this point? Because it's very clear that Jonadab seems to be switching sides and and actually knows what's going on. Maybe now he was conferring with Absalom himself. And when King David learns of Amnon's sin, we're told that he became very angry. But the problem with David is that he did nothing constructive with his anger. There was no righteousness in his anger. David was in a position to seek justice on behalf of his daughter, but instead he did nothing. An ancient manuscript suggests that David did nothing because he loved Amnon because that was his firstborn son. Now, some commentators believe that David did nothing because he was because of his past sinful choices, that he was too compromised, that he felt too compromised to do anything here. But we need to learn from this, friends. We can't just sit back and ignore injustice. And while we're not to take matters into our own hands like Absalom did, we also can't sit back and just let it happen in front of us. Sometimes injustice means prayer. Sometimes injustice means we serve. Sometimes injustice means we engage politically. But let me, let me just say this, a word of warning. Too often the concept of justice gets hijacked. And we have to be sure we understand what justice is in any given situation. We have to be sure that we understand a biblical concept of both justice and injustice and not let our culture or our society dictate to us what justice is. Because we can know for sure that our culture cares nothing about righteousness and cares nothing about truth. Doesn't care about the true definitions of right or wrong or good and evil. Now, According to the narrative, it's like everyone else seemed to forget what had happened to Tamar, except Absalom. Two years passed. Two long years passed. Absalom, I'm sure, was plotting his move ever since the incident happened. And knowing the treachery that Absalom would engage in, I'm sure that he had been thinking about this, how he would avenge his sister and pay back Amnon since that day. Beyond that, he hated his father. His father did nothing in the face of the injustice. He hated his father. We're going to see that over the course of the next weeks, how he wanted the throne from his father. And when he finally does make his move, he couched everything in this celebratory time associated with sheep shearing. Likely knowing that King David would not agree to go on this celebratory journey, he says, well, just have your sons come with me and let Amnon, who is the oldest, let him come in your place, more or less is what he's saying. Let him be there. Well, David initially is a little, a little suspicious. Well, why should Amnon go with you? But we're told that Absalom keeps pressing and David gives in and he goes and then Absalom makes his move and he gets his revenge. Blinded by his hatred. Don't miss that. He is consumed 
with hatred. In the same way that Amnon was consumed with lust, Absalom is consumed with hatred. So brazen in his sin that he makes his intentions very clear to his own servants and tells them, go do it. Is it I don't know if you picked up on it, but Absalom is saying, hey, look, don't worry about it. Be strong and valiant, as if these are the words that God would say to uh, Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Amnon is now telling his servants to be strong and valiant as they go and slaughter Amnon, all motivated by his own hatred. The deadly path is clear. Hatred, murder, revenge. Jesus warned that those who harbored hatred in their hearts are guilty of murder. And we see it being played out here. Now news reaches David that all his sons have died. Jonadab is there with the true story. How did Jonadab know what was really going on in the moment? We'll maybe never know, but we can speculate that he was somehow siding with Absalom now. Absalom's going to flee But this isn't the last that we're going to hear of Absalom. In fact, Absalom will become a huge thorn in his father's side. Cunning and crafty. Working against his father. Taking advantage of David's indecisiveness. And what we learn from this, friends, is the danger of hatred and the foolishness of seeking revenge. Hatred, like lust, can be all-consuming. It turns the heart cold and leads us to all sorts of evil. Hatred is a sign that God's grace and God's love are absent from someone's life. We need to battle hatred by confessing our sin, by confessing our bitterness and asking God to soften our hearts and to make us forgiving people. Beyond that, friends, when we are tempted towards revenge, we can be sure that we are not trusting God. When we are tempted towards revenge, we can be sure that we are not trusting God as we ought to trust him. We are disbelieving that God will one day make all things right. We're disbelieving that God is good, that he is a God of justice, And we think we have to take matters into our own hands. The New Testament warns us against seeking revenge in multiple places. Let me read for you a few of them. Romans chapter 12, verse 14 through 21. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no evil for evil, but Give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 30, we read the same thing. Vengeance is the Lord's. He will repay. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus very clearly tells his followers, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now friends, what God is telling us is not easy to follow. In fact, when we're wronged, most of us have a desire in that moment to get even. It's our natural inclination. Let's get even. Let's make it right. And even if we could never make it right because that person's bigger than stronger than us, we have this bitterness in our heart that says, that's not fair. I curse you even if you can't hear me, right? That's what happens. What enables us to follow these instructions then? It's the grace of God and it's the spirit of God working confidence in us that God will make all things right. That God is a God of justice. That God is good. That he is gracious to us. So rather than hate, we're called to love. Rather than seek to get even, we're called to bless. Rather than take matters into our own hands, rather than being driven by hatred, we're to rest in the fact that God is just. And that we can build our lives on him, right? Because he won't fail us. He is our firm foundation. He's our firm foundation when things come into our life that we would rather not have, when people do wrong and sin against us, but we can still depend on him, and we can still trust him, and one day he will make all things Right. Listen, this isn't easy, but it's exactly what Jesus did. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. Instead, he entrusted himself to the Father who judges justly. And Jesus was murdered. Jesus was hated, and that hatred led to the murder of Jesus. He died on the cross, not for his sins, but for our sins sins he endured mistreatment mistreatment that we deserved because of our rebellion against God and then he rose again on the third day today Jesus gives grace and power to those who follow him he gives grace and hope to those who follow him and seek to live their lives for his glory today you can know peace. Today, you can know joy. Today, you can know hope. Today, you can know love. Will you confess your sin? Will you trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ? In a few moments, I'm gonna pray. And if you'd like to know how you can have a relationship with the one true and living God, the hope of eternal life, and the forgiveness of sin, and come talk to us during this song of invitation. For those of you who are following Christ, battle sin by trusting in God's goodness and walking by the Spirit. God's power is available to you because the Holy Spirit lives in you. So what do we do? We believe it. We turn from sin and we trust him. Will you pray with me?
Lord, thank you for the difficult passages in Scripture, the kind that show that we battle the same things that other sinners throughout history have battled forever. But thank you more for the truth of the gospel, the message of the gospel that we in Christ have been set free from the power of sin, that it has no mastery over us. Thank you for the hope that we have of forgiveness and eternal life. Today, Lord, we want to be, we confess together that we want to be men and women and boys and girls who are walking by the Spirit. Help us to trust you. Help us to follow you with all that we are. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, will you stand? Will you sing? Will you respond? If you need prayer, we're here to pray with you. If you have questions about the gospel, we'd love to connect with you there.